0: If you'd like to see our lovely faces, there is unedited video of this discussion aired on the Partially Examined Life YouTube channel. Look for the link to the video at the post for this episode at prettymuchpop.com. This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast, always with a camera attached to our hips. We're talking about the HBO documentary show How To with John Wilson, which started in 2020, just wrapped up its third and final season. This is Mark Linsenmeyer, twisting and turning, never ending up where you'd expect.
1: This is Al Baker wondering how to even begin talking about
2: this show. (laughs) You are Sarah Lynn Breck. You woke up, you (laughs) had your coffee, and you went for your run. You tried to think of a clever opening line for this podcast, but couldn't think of anything. So here you are.
3: This is Lawrence Ware, and I hated this show. Shots fired. I inflicted this
0: upon you. This is a 100% Rotten Tomatoes rating. So I, I guess you as established critic can ruin that if you want to publish something.
3: I'm not going to write about it. I'm not going to write about it. I, thought, I actually thought about writing about it. I decided not to write about it because I didn't want to mess up. The, I, no critic wants to be that one guy who descends and like, lets everybody know that they're like not in on the joke. So I chose not to write about it, but I really did not like this show.
1: Let's try to say what it is. Al, do you want to make an attempt? How To with John Wilson has a form of a kind of video diary. He's kind of like a garrison keeler, a millennial garrison keeler in, in New York City. He just documents every single thing that happens to him and then manages to turn it into... A commentary on something or other. And as, as Mark alluded to, the videos are styled as like how-to guides. So what are some of the titles? Like how to find a parking spot, how to... Put up scaffolding. How mm-hmm. to put up scaffolding. And the shows begin by talking about how you might go about these things, but then invariably descend into some kind of commentary, De- some more descend. profound <laughs> than others. Descend, I think, is the right <laughs> word. It's decidedly weird the way he uses footage is incredibly interesting i don't know if i like it welcome come on in man has anyone got anything to add about like the mechanics of the show because it is frustratingly simple but also deeply weird
2: yeah i mean he starts with that premise of a how-to and then descend might be the right word
3: that is the right word
2: (laughs) but it Goes places that I don't know that he necessarily expects. The show is about a lot of things, but one thing that I definitely kind of tapped into is how it's also about the creative process. So how we get to, you know, in 30 minutes, sometimes I would look up and I was like, how long is this episode? How far into it am I? I feel like I've been watching something forever and it's been like 12 minutes, you know?
3: Completely
2: agree. Completely agree. I actually really found a lot to like in this show. I actually really, really was, there were times when I was crying from laughing and then sometimes I was just crying because it was just so sad. I really found a lot of this show very moving.
0: And talk about diverse voices. You don't hear this guy's literal voice, the tone of his voice, which does not have the smooth silkiness of a veteran no. podcaster, of a broadcaster, of a, of a news Very person. Very nasally.
3: <laughs> it's incredibly nasally.
2: It's like Kermit the Frog.
0: It actually took me a little bit, at least a couple, at least one episode or two episodes. At some point, I noticed that he was doing everything, you know, in second person, but talking clearly just about himself. And I thought that might mm-hmm. be a one-time joke. And that just became like the entire premise of the thing. Yeah. I'm not sure that he had this in mind on the first episode or few Or maybe I just didn't notice it, but it it seemed a little more universal of this is actually what you might... You ever notice when you look around and there's scaffolding everywhere, and then he talks about the scaffolding issue in New York City, which is an episode I found really interesting because I don't live in New York City. I don't think about all that, that all the time, but it is weird how in New York City, every building has scaffolding, which is supposed to be this temporary thing. But just seemingly permanently as part of, you know, and what problem was this brought in to solve? I think I think that's a great example sort of to start with. And then it becomes metaphorical of what are ways that which we try to protect ourselves. And so I don't see that as a dissent so much as a generalizing or, you know, often it's just a swerve that he'll just like interview somebody in the process of it that will clue him into something else completely. And he will just go over that and he'll make some attempt to bridge it back. But it's not really. It's, it's a different topic.
3: Oh, so yeah. should, I just, should I just go in and, go, and list all the things that I hate about this Go dance? ahead, Lawrence. We've said some nice okay. things. I mean, you guys have been glowing. Well, Al was a little bit more on my wavelength.
1: I'm generally glowing. Generally glowing. I, really, I do really like it.
3: You're not glowing. You're like not there glowing.
1: Some, <laughs> there, something, there are some things I didn't like about it, but there's much more that I liked about it than I didn't. So yeah, go ahead. Take your, take your shots.
3: Okay, so look, Sarah's glowing, Marcus is glowing. I hate this damn show. This show read to me. Maybe it's because I'm a writer and like when I first started writing pieces, I would write things and I'd kind of go off on tangents and then come back to the main the- like the main thing that I'm trying to talk about and my editor is over and over and over again like cut that out and like this is some good stuff here and it would work well in a different piece but not for this piece. This guy makes a show like he is a sophomore English lit major who follows all of the, his random thoughts and makes this show and films things along those lines of his random thoughts. And he starts off here and then he ends up way over here. And it bothers the fuck out of me. It, it really, I'm sorry to cuss as much as I'm cussing. I really did not like this show. Like I felt like I wanted to text Mark. And be like, Mark, why the fuck do you have me watching this shit? Because I really didn't like this show. I did not like it. I don't like the way that he's undisciplined and how he's presenting his things. I don't like his nasally voice. It does not appeal to me. I don't like the way that he films things. Like it's hard. Like I think Al got to it. He films things in a really weird way. It breaks all the rules that I know is supposed to be followed when it comes to making documentaries or feature films, whatever. He breaks those rules like with reckless abandon. And he does all these things. He does all the wrong things. And yet people love this. I I do not understand it. It, Like Nathan Fillion is interesting (laughs) and he's doing something interesting. And I like what he's doing even though it fielder
0: really, nathan fielder nathan Fielder is also interesting but not i was thinking about the, the fly fly joke
1: but
3: yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, nathan, you're right you're, right, you're right, right that guy he's interesting but this guy i don't think he's neurodivergent i don't think that's what it is like he's just weird i do not like this show it really really bothered me the tangents that he would go on and then on top of that there are episodes that are fucking disgusting like he does really disgusting things and it really bothers me And so, all these things compounded to make it where I'm just not the target audience for this show. I think that I do not have, I don't have the sense of humor. I'm not interested in the world, apparently, the way that he's interested in the world. Like, he really bothered me. Like, he talks about one thing, and then by the end of the episode, we're way over here. He reads to me like a guy who needs an editor, but because so many people like this, no one's editing him. Like, no one gives him notes, and it really bothers me.
2: I think that's actually a really good point about being the audience for this particular show. Because I think if you don't connect to him, he has described this entire series as a memoir. You know, this is, just like you said, Al, it's a diary. And if you don't connect to him, you're not going to connect to anything about it. I personally actually really connected to it. I found him as a person, I really loved his curiosity. I liked that he was, he was just so present with the people that he was interviewing and, and generous in a lot of ways. And I found that really, really interesting. I, the people that he would interview would be people that I see in Philadelphia, actually, all the time. I see a lot of these types of people that you, sometimes you you avoid them. <laughs> you walk around them as you're trying to get on the subway or you ignore them. And he definitely turns his camera on them and allows them to tell their stories. And that I thought was was really interesting and moving, surprisingly moving. And it changed my mind also. Like I would think, oh, that person's weird. And by the end of the episode, after they had talked about, you know, like in the the very first, I, I just rewatched the very first episode where he goes to Cancun for spring break and he connects with that kid who just seemed to be getting high and drunk. And anyway, they had this conversation about people that they had lost and why they were in Cancun to begin with. And that's something that's, he never would have been able to get to that point point at the end of that week in Cancun if he hadn't stuck with it. And that's a person I would never have, admittedly, I I wouldn't have paid any mind to. I wouldn't have really been interested in connecting with that person. But he was a really, really moving figure. Yeah,
0: let me ask you if you, if you think any of these interviews are exploitative in the way that when we had the Nathan Fielder episode, it seemed like, you know, Lawrence, you were objecting that there was a whole focus, a lot of these interviews are much shorter, so it's a different thing, but there was a whole focus in one of the Nathan episodes on someone who you were thinking might be on the spectrum, and then just, just having this guy showing his weirdness was somehow exploitative. I don't know, I didn't get that feeling with this show in that way, but what do you think, Lawrence?
3: I'm really not sure, because my first inclination is to say yes. So, talking about the Cancun episode, that episode struck me... And I watched all these episodes. I hate watching them, but I watched them. And that episode really made me uncomfortable because Sarah was moved by that episode. I felt very uncomfortable because that guy was like pouring out his heart about what he was going through. And I don't know if that is a good thing thing that he should have done like it felt like he was exploiting the guy the fact that the guy was hurting so much and he needed to talk to someone and he put him on camera like if he wants to give him therapy okay that's great but to put him on camera felt a little exploitive right because he's like "Ooh, this is a good television show Ooh, this is really good i gotta capture this on film that felt icky to me
1: i don't think anything that, that you said about what you don't like about the show like sarah lynn said i don't think anything you said was wrong I think you've described the show pretty well, but I think there's a lot of value in all of the stuff that you said you didn't like. In fact, pretty much all of the stuff that you said you didn't like. And one thing I think (laughs) is, is particularly beautiful about the show is exactly that he lets the premise of the episode be guided by the people that he meets while he's making it. And that's kind of explicit through the show.
3: Are these people getting paid, though?
1: Do the subjects of documentaries usually get paid? No, I'm sure they're not. I
0: mean, they had to sign releases, though.
3: Yeah, yeah they had yeah. to sign releases, but they're not getting paid. But if he's following where these people are taking him, these people should be compensated for taking him there. Maybe some of them... Or it, is this an entertaining show?
0: Right, maybe some of them... I think they even made it clear with the guy in the exploding car episode. The guy that was sort of there for a long time. Oh, he's a flat earther. That he was getting paid. You know, he was like driving him all around. I, I don't know. That's my, that was my feeling with that episode, at least. That there that was, was some a budget... That if it was like, let me do a ride
1: along with you, then there might have been actual compensation involved. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you another question, Lawrence. Is it more exploitative to have someone spill their guts out to you and like take seriously what they say and alter the thing that you're making like on account of the depth of the interview that they gave to you or to give someone a surface level interview in which you coax out of them the material that you wanted them to say because it fit the thesis that you already had in mind.
3: Well, of course, the second example is more exploitive, but I think that both things are bad.
1: The second thing is the way like most documentaries work. Documentary and movies.
0: Or like Jordan Klepper or somebody like yeah, who's interviewing Trump supporters. Ah, uh, look, they said something dumb about Trump, and then they cut away. And that's sort of much more typical, whereas this was, yes, Everybody's weird. I the host am the weirdest of all as I will you know display throughout here. And so it's just us being humans relating to each other and isn't it cool that you actually get to see what some humans that are probably very unlike you how they th- Think and talk about things. I mean, the people that lived in the area of New York that is below sea level. And so they like don't use regular toilets and they're talking about how they live off the grid. Like, those are interesting damn people. And I thought they were displayed as respectfully as one could, given the weird stuff that they were saying.
2: But even just like the vacuum cleaner convention <laughs> and the people who are really into Avatar. You know, it speaks to, and he was taking them seriously. He was interviewing them, finding out what they were into and taking it seriously. And then, you know, at the core of it, I wouldn't necessarily connect with somebody who was collecting vacuum cleaners. I was thinking, oh my God, I would hate to be married to somebody who collected, you know, had 75 (laughs) vacuum cleaners. But it was a way for them to connect with other people who were into the same stuff. And episode became about loneliness. It became something that was just all too human that I ended up relating to them on that level of humanity. And I just, and I fell for them, of course. And they each had their own stories to tell. I thought that he was not exploiting them. I thought that was very respectful. And it showed that every single person person has that kind of a story to tell even if we don't think we do even if we don't think that we're all that all that interesting
1: he's a lot less mean about it than nathan fielder is
2: yeah i agree yeah he
1: reminds me a lot more of I louis agree. theroux i don't know if you guys have seen about the louis theroux's documentaries yeah, but there's yeah. that the effort to uh, like find the humanity behind the weird behavior which sometimes backfires enormously but yeah you can see it in both in both the guy's
3: work I will say that I did appreciate that he appeared to be very warm hearted. Now, I would not like to hang out um, because the guy feels like he would rub me the wrong way, but he does appear to have a warm heart. He does appear to have a big heart and I appreciate that, but he's still making a TV show and he's still trying to find the best way to be entertaining, to be funny and while we may understand the stories and the humanity of these people they're still freaking weird and he knows that he's looking for weird people and he wants to kind of display the weirdness of people and that feels it doesn't feel great because our entry point into these places are their weirdness and then we get to their humanity but they're still weird. We still walk away thinking these people are weird, but we think they're weird, but they're also human, right? But that weirdness is the first point.
2: Isn't that on me or on the viewer? Isn't that on if you're approaching something in a place of judgment? And believe me, I did. I did approach some of the people who were featured in a place of judgment, which is wrong. And by the end, I was able to admit I, w- I was wrong. You, the flat, you flat earthers know, I, I might think, be right. You, you really like the flat well, earthers. <laughs> no. I will not say that, but it was... Flat
3: earthers aren't weird at all.
2: (laughs) I mean, I think that he's like, by using that second person voice, you know, he is inviting us in to that worldview and allowing our minds to kind of be changed. And I was really, honestly, I was kind of blown away by that. I didn't think that this series was, was perfect by any means, but I was kind of blown away by that. I
0: want to address one of the things that Lawrence brought up about the grossness. And so that I think it was that very same scaffolding one, which might sound from my description like that this is a good one to sort of introduce your spouse to the show on. But I think it's that episode that then gets to the guy that is trying to grow his foreskin back. That's not part of this.
2: Oh, no, that was.
0: So it's how to cover your furniture. And it gets to a generalized thing about protecting things. You can see why I got it. Some of the themes are quite similar between episodes. But yes, getting to the foreskin guy who then there's a long shot of him with his contraption, with his penis just hanging out, trying to grow, you know, stretch his foreskin. I turned it off.
3: I turned it yeah. off. I didn't see, I didn't see that. As soon as I saw what was about to happen. I did. I watched it.
0: They of were. course
3: you did. Of course. Cause he's a human being and he's not weird <laughs> at all. You can just look
0: away like you do in the, in the blood spatter, uh,
3: Wait a minute, you can okay, you can watch that, but you can't watch The Exorcist? Come I'm on, Sarah. Sad. I, that I am going to
2: watch The Exorcist. I will, I will.
0: <laughs> yes, that was something that, you know, I didn't need to see as much of that, but that was a very, Yeah. I think a lot of these guys, and that guy was not on the spectrum or whatever. He just had a very strong point of view about this thing. And part of it was, I'm going to be totally shameless. And that's almost a, a social commentary in itself, that people are too wrapped up, about nudity, specifically male nudity, and we should just not have shame to talk about and in fact show our lack of foreskins or whatever.
2: But that was, I think, the first season we saw a lot of people who were, God, this is such a judgmental word, but people that I would characterize as maybe not very sophisticated. And I think as the show went on, we saw more people who had their own stories to share who were not as weird as that guy, you know, but who still had, you know, like the girl who was talking about it was the how to track your package when she was getting her all of her organic food delivered to her ap- apartment. And then she started talking about how she was, and she just seemed like just kind of a normal young woman living in New York City. And she then she was like, yeah, but I'm worried because I want to save my eggs and I want to, and I need to be able to get the medication for that. And if somebody steals it, then I'm kind of screwed, you know? And it was like, whoa, she just shared that she is concerned about reproduction. You know, she was concerned about making another life, you know, in her own way, you know, that didn't necessarily involve, marriage and a guy so i just thought that was so it was kind of a little reveals i thought were just so interesting and often really deep was
0: there not one of them lawrence that like struck you like yeah actually that's a not sophomore level but you know a little better than that was there not one in the three seasons of episodes that struck you like that
3: no there was not i will say though that I do have a question about how he's fighting these people, because there is no way that he talks to a person and gets all these people to share with him these really weird quirky things about him without him manipulating it somehow like like I, I do not know how he's able to find these people that will just share these intimate details with him because one thing he does not come across as is as a great like interviewer like Oprah is a really good interviewer who knows how to like get you to share things that you don't want to share and like he doesn't come off as that so how is he able to get a person to reveal these really deep really embarrassing very human things about themselves where like a person's going to pull out his private parts on television and share it with the world. Like, like, how is he able to do
1: that? I think it's compulsion and monomania. I think he genuinely probably does very little else other than film stuff and talk to people. How long does it take to make a show like this? Like, if I have, like, eight months in New York City walking around all day with a camera, you've got to find, like, maybe 20 weird people in that time to make your show. I honestly think it's just a lot of large numbers.
2: Mm -hmm. For three hours of footage that or three hours that you're going to show on TV.
1: He lives in New York City. That's how he does it.
2: But he's not successful every single time though, either. And he will leave them on. um, Some of it made it into the show where he is denied. You know, he asks constantly, can I come into your house? (laughs) I'm more surprised that people actually let him in than, you know, somebody who's, just trying to get her pizza for company coming over is like no you got kind of puts them off you know but i'm surprised that more people actually do let him in and see their inner world
1: that guy who cooks him a a risotto shows him how to get and gives him really good advice on how to cook a risotto
2: can we talk about that episode oh god yeah i mean that just as a slice of that episode was a, actually, I, I was weeping by the end. I, I made my husband, Josh, watch it the other day. And I was weeping again, all over again. But that relationship he has with his landlord, the, how it starts out with him just wanting to do something nice for his landlord. And then by the end, it becomes this episode about the early pandemic days and how traumatizing it was.
1: Such a good COVID story. Like there was a good episode. May it all about like as as, as simple as I like, just I want to share Yeah. I wanna share a bit of food with this old lady. And I love that he kept that conversation in with the uh, was it a friend of his who was a nurse and they're just having that conversation with like nobody knows. And it's so easy to forget that there was that long period where like nobody had a clue what was going no on. No
2: one knew. Yeah. Yeah. That episode was just that's actually what kind of really reeled me in. I was a little ambivalent. I didn't actually even necessarily know what it was. I started watching this show before we decided to do the topic and I kind of gave up on it because I didn't really know what it was. And I was like, I don't know if I want to spend all this time with this guy. But by the time I got to that episode, episode six, I was just a hundred percent in. I just thought it was such a, oh, so moving.
0: Let me let me pull out another thread. I, I feel like Lawrence, you're in asking, how does he get these people to talk? as much as this is a diary and we're sort of getting to know him, there's so much that we don't see about the few times where he is shown on camera, like where he was on the people's court or whatever from, from earlier. Like that (laughs) seems a totally different personality. This very aggressive kind of nasty person compared to what he has shown us when he's just talking himself. So I don't know how aggressive and wheedling and, You know, he is the rest of the time when he's not narrating in a first person way.
3: And that's a good, a great point. I didn't think about how this may be a performance for him. Like, this is not who he is. But when he's on camera or narrating, he kind of puts this affectation on and he's very nasally and he's very whatever. But in real life, he may be hard charging and very sophisticated and all that kind of stuff. So you may be right. Right, you may be right. It may be just like a performance of some sort. And that there are many facets to this person's personality and when he's interviewing people, maybe he he does have a different way of being and then when he's presenting things, he's like, "Oh, you know, I just walked down the street and scaffolding," right? And you know, so I I think that maybe you may be onto something there.
2: I don't think so. But we don't know. I think that that's part of his thesis is really seeking out the truth. What is truth? You know, and not a dissimilar, I can see why Nathan Fielder was roped into this. What is real? And I think that he, this is a reaction to a lot of the documentaries that go in with the thesis and are, you know, are going to prove that thesis or argument or a reality show, how a reality show is just so manipulative and i think he this is a reaction to that kind of media
0: just the time and care that goes into the visuals there was a sequence that he's just narrating something or other and what he's saying is illustrated by pictures of license plates that he has filmed presumably that <laughs> illustrate every single subclause you know so whether he wrote this with the license plate collection in front of him and constructed around of that or he just looked long enough like What an amazing amount of work, you know, unless it was just like, let's go and CGI a bunch of license plate, which I don't think it was. I think he makes a point that this is all for the most part.
2: He did say that about 80% of the um, footage, but he does have a team that gets all that B-roll stuff. And so if he sees something like the license plates or like buildings that have faces on them or something, he'll have them go out and look, look for that kind of stuff because they'll have some sort of a bit or a joke or something that is going to build on that. I know I love all of those sequences.
3: I have a question, Sarah. So you said you weren't really filling the show until you got to episode six. Would you go back and watch those original episodes and now your mind has changed about those or did... What didn't work with those episodes still hold true for you?
2: So I watched the first two episodes. No, I watched the first three no, I did I, I think I started with three when we decided we were going to uh, record this. And I watched them with Josh, and Josh is I think would agree more with you, Lawrence. He's not a huge fan of John Wilson, and he thinks it's it's kind of exploitive. I think it just makes him feel deeply uncomfortable watching this show. I like so Josh a I was lot.
3: Like, <laughs> I like Josh a lot. Josh is a good guy. I
2: like <laughs> Me too. I, I like him a lot too. So I just thought, oh, if we're not going to watch this together, then it's one more thing I have to watch on my own. And I just didn't, I wasn't feeling it enough at the time to be able to, to watch it on my own. And I was actually really happy when Mark suggested that we watch the show to talk about it because there was something there that I wanted to understand, but I didn't put in the really the nerdy work I usually do to put in that effort to, to understand it. So yeah, the first two episodes and now I went back and I watched the first episode again and I kind of want to go back and see scaffolding again too. But now that I've seen the whole thing and I think also watching all of it in the past couple of weeks has helped to, to have a better, at least for me to have a better, better understanding of what he's trying to do.
0: Yeah. I wonder if this would be better taken in smaller doses than I took it because I just drank the whole thing all three seasons very rapidly. And so, yes, a lot of it is blurring together and whatever profound points. Again, I know we've talked about this many times before, as far as profundity on TV or movies, my expectations are so low. Just the fact that you're trying to do anything, like I'm just, yeah, that's great. And that there were some that were actually, you know, really emotionally affecting. So that was sort of all I needed out of it. Plus the just the obvious time and caretake with the visuals.
2: What would you compare this to? Or is there anything like this that's on that you can think of?
1: I think so. I brought up Louis Theroux already. The two big things that he reminded me of, apart aside from Nathan Fielder, were Louis Theroux and Adam Curtis. Adam Curtis also makes kind of weird documentaries. With very stylized, like, use of sharply edited footage to kind of punctuate his points. But his documentaries are extremely border on conspiratorial. He weaves like grand political narratives about how the technological establishment of the 1960s are responsible for like food prices in the 90s or whatever. Like, stuff that it's really hard to take at face value. But there's that kind of dreamlike quality to the way he uses the footage, which is. Very similar to what's going on in John Wilson. but I can't think of anybody new-ish on TV making anything similar. It did strike me as something that you might expect to find on YouTube before, like cable TV, in terms of tone and style. Joe Pera,
0: did you guys see his show on HBO? Joe Pera talks with you. So he is much more straight, like, Gerritsen Keeler esque than John Wilson is. And he appears on camera constantly he's like a mr rogers in
1: his just gentleness and you're like how much of this is a joke i don't really but there's much more artifice in it like a lot of it it seems a lot more make believe
2: so we watched a short documentary it was like 45 minutes called speed cubers it's on kids who are competitive rubik's cubers and for some reason that Documentary popped in my mind as a comparison to this show because it starts out as one thing and ends up another thing. And it's not about the filmmakers at all. It's totally about these kids, but taking something that they're super into and how they all connect with each other and bringing in kids, you know, from all different kinds of backgrounds um, and all different kinds of abilities. And how it really kind of just the Rubik's Cube, something, a toy is connecting all of them. I was like, oh, this is something that started out in a way that ended up very, very differently in a really beautiful way.
3: I was surprised by how much I really disliked this show because I love those kind of documentaries where it starts off as one thing and it ends up something else the documentaries movies books whatever i love things
0: hands on a hard body is that one of them you know
3: i have no idea what the hell you're talking about it sounds like it's a feature length documentary about
0: people (laughs) in a competition where they have to put their hands on a hot car and the first one who takes it away and it ends up being very much about the lives of these people and why they would be doing this, rather than the activity. It just seems like it's a natural.
3: And it's called hands on a hot body, on a hard body. <laughs> That's I, like I got taken aback by that. I was like, hands Sorry, on I a hard thought, body. I That's thought this was
0: common knowledge. Very I was just illicit. To, add it
3: to very what you were saying. Illicit. I'm going to find it though and watch it. But I love those kinds of like stories where it does that. But there's something about this guy and the way that he does it and the way that he pulls these things out of people. That it appears organic on the show, but I don't think it's organic. And it feels like he's exploiting them. It feels like. So the speed cubers. let's talk about that speed cubers. You naturally get there because there is something about being neurodivergent and being drawn to those kinds of things. Right. And so you kind of eventually get there in a very organic way. He doesn't do that. Like he doesn't organically get somewhere. He starts off with an idea and he randomly thinks about something else and he goes there. And then he goes from there to there. Like it doesn't feel organic in any meaningful way. I
0: highly disagree. I think that it is driven by, I'm trying to think what the the left turn was when he's in the grocery store and he runs across the guy who, do you even know what I'm talking about? I don't want. The risotto? I don't think, I
1: don't think so.
2: It it ends up he episode. ends up going I, I to a conference
3: about, for
1: it is. is it where, when he goes to the referee store and runs into a referee and then there's a I
3: mean that's a conference. great one yes well that's organic that that is an organic but not not all of his episodes are like that not all of his episodes follow things organically like sometimes so you go to the grocery store and. You interview 10 people in the grocery store, and then you find the one person who kind of takes you where you want them to go, and then you follow that. That's not organic. That is searching for someone who's going to take you where you want them to take you. That bothers me, guys. It just does.
2: You're contradicting yourself, Lawrence. You just said at the beginning. How dare you? How
3: dare you? (laughs) I'm a philosopher. I don't contradict myself. (laughs) I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: You said at the beginning that it it seemed too random. It seemed like he didn't have any discipline. Both things
3: are true. Both things are true.
1: I think you're also ruling out like just documentary filmmaking. You shoot stuff and then you edit in the stuff that gives you an interest. The part that I was trying
0: to remember was the how to improve your memory episode. (laughs) That he runs into somebody (laughs) who then takes him to a conference. Let's go to the grocery store. How can you remember your grocery list? Like these very practical things. And he runs into a guy who works at the grocery store who then takes him to a conference who it's about people that think that the things that they don't quite remember correctly mean that we're now living in a parallel universe. Yes. How coincidental is it that that is actually a variation on the same theme? It's not just going off in some random direction. It's not like he ran into the vacuum cleaner guy or the referee or, you know, at the grocery store, but that he could then say more about, you know, with this very weird left turn of people who take the fact that lapses in memory, or the fact that we all remember something about these product names or whatever. Uh, is it Stofer's Stovetop Stuffing? No, it's actually Stovetop Stuffing is a different company than Stouffer's or whatever. Uh, but we all remember it as being that. So therefore, and you know, and draw this giant conspiracies about it. And I love seeing little worlds like that of conferences like that. If that was all, even if that was the point. Is I'm gonna look. I'm gonna make this show to be
1: about researching weird conferences. I would. Have, I would have been in on that. It could easily be the case that like he met that guy at the grocery store one day, and then was like, "Okay, I need to lead up to this somehow. Let me go back and film myself putting stuff in a shopping cart, and we'll cut it all together that way." But I think and that's...
3: that is not organic. But he did meet a
1: guy in a grocery store who happened to like be a, an app developer who introduced him to this stuff? Like if there's a bit, even if there's a bit of fuckery in setting it up.
3: I have two things to say. First is to refute Sarah. Um, <laughs> my random statement had to do with him needing editing and him following he, these weird tangents. That was my random statement. Now back to this. So you mean to tell me that I can go into a grocery store, talk to a person who checks me out and that person's going to be an app developer who is going to le- take me to a conference who's going to talk to me about the Mandela thing. Here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I will bet money and I I can't prove this. So this could be organic. It could be completely normal and not weird and no chicanery going on at all. But I will bet money that that guy sought out this person who does this and who goes these conferences and just happens to work at the grocery store. And he set up going to the grocery store and meeting this person and doing this affectation and all that kind of stuff. And that reads to me more like filmmaking than a documentary, right? And that's what bothers me. Because that is not what I expect from documentary movies, television shows, stuff like that. That is more, let me make this happen and tell this story that I want to tell.
1: I think if it were as cynical as that, there would be more producers on the credits.
0: It seems like there's something wrong if we have to judge something by, depending on whether or not we know how it's made. It should either the thing itself, as it is presented to you, is enjoyable and textured and you appreciate the sophistication or lack thereof, or you don't. I dis-
1: the-
3: the- disagree. I completely disagree. When we were talking about Nathan, Na- not Nathan Philian, Nathan Fieldman, when we were talking about that show, we. Or even Nathan Fielder. Nathan that- Fieldman's a whole other guy. So. damn it. I can't get <laughs> this shit right. But, but nevertheless, like when we were talking about this show, like 75% of our conversation was about how the show was made. Like we are interested in that. That is an important part of these mm-hmm. kinds of shows? How are they made? What's going on here?
1: There's a huge amount about the show that banks on its authenticity, that draws on its authenticity to to make its points. I and think you're right. I if, think you're right. And if it is, if it is as cynically put together as, as Lawrence is suggesting, which I don't think is the case, but I think that would detract from it.
2: But we still never know. I mean, I, I, w- I right. would we actually don't we don't love to see a how-to on how to with John Wilson. I would love to see the behind the scenes on this. How, I, how did John Wilson? How did John Wilson? There we go. That's, that's good, Al. You should make television shows. That's a good name. But that last episode took a turn. I mean, speaking of organic, it took a turn because it was the how to track your package. They were trying to figure out how do they ship organs? and his producer misunderstood what he was talking about. And instead of like your heart and your lungs and stuff, they went to organs that you like play in church and he just went with it. So how do you ship an organ? And then that took him to some restaurant that had one of the biggest organs in the country or something. The first
0: part is he cryogenically froze himself. So it it becomes stuffed into how to deliver, how to track your package, how to deliver yourself to the future. (laughs) That is the the conceit of why this is still the same topic. But yes, go on the the final piece of this when he's actually interviewed after they've had, right? This is after they show the conference of people who want to freeze themselves and the company and how they do things. And then it's revealed, well, you know, some people don't need to live on because they have kids. And then yes, you tell the rest, Sarah.
2: (laughs) I mean, I just thought that was such a perfect way to end it because it was on mortality and reproduction and about denying yourself pleasure. I just thought it would I mean, it was, it, again, it was like both weird and sad and profound. I hate using that word, but it was, I thought it was, it ended on that note.
3: And I kept thinking to myself, this guy needs an editor.
2: I just don't think that John Wilson is your type of person. I, do, I just don't think he's just he's your person.
3: No, he's too punk for I you. I think the editing uh,
2: is, is tremendous. I completely disagree, Al, that he is too punk for
3: me. I am the most punk rock person you know, sir. I can't believe. Did you ever live in a squatted warehouse in the New York Harbor Oh, my District? God. No, that's pretty fun. I, I absolutely did not, actually.
1: It is funny, you know, kind of, again, how they're sort of
0: slightly Same. revealing stuff about him when they show his schedule. And, like, you think that this guy is a homebody, whatever, and that it's like, you know, went to bar until 3 a.m. What, like, if you actually, I I, I might have paused to read, you know, it's supposed to be about, what a dreary every day is the same, but every day is like staying out till five or <laughs>
2: five a.m. I mean, he lives in the city, so why not take advantage? Because if
0: you're a young person, that that the way that he introduces himself is by referring to like the girlfriend that left him because he was emotionally unavailable. That that he's sort of setting himself up. That yeah, I'm not actually that good at relating to people. The whole first episode is how to get out of conversations, right? How to make small talk, and so that when people do. You know, the first one that sort of really shows herself is this travel agent, I think, who just starts going on about, yes, I got divorced and is like presented as way too much information. And somebody clearly was happy to talk to the camera, even though she was weird yet human, you know, in contrast to him, who is, oh, I just can't even talk to people. Clearly that is.
2: People just want to tell their stories. I mean, that's, I mean. So it's the camera. It's not that's him. That's what they're talking to him. He doesn't have the camera up here. He has the camera down at his hip. You know, they're talking to him. Lawrence is not having it.
3: I'm letting you guys go off. Listen, I know that I was the most negative person on this show. Let me see if I can end on a positive note. Nope. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I can't, I can't <laughs> end on a positive note. I'm sorry. I, I genuinely, I was trying to think of something nice to say. I would not like to have beer with this guy.
2: I think that's what it comes down to it for you. He, it's not.
3: He's not my kind of person.
0: Like, well, now that he's done with the show, I've invited him to replace Al as our as our co
1: host. So he's going to
0: be <laughs> and, here, and,
3: and you would have to replace every me as well. I love Al, and he's going to talk this
1: guy. like this every time. If anything more friendly and outgoing.
0: Does anyone have a better impression of him than that? That was not a good impression, but I feel <laughs> no, it wasn't. But no. no, I don't. So I didn't call you out. On it.
2: No, just a, any Muppet, pick a Muppet.
0: <laughs> there are certain things that were definitely not staged, but like when he's like tracking your package. What is the package in question? Let's see if I can find the silliest thing on eBay or whatever. And so that just becomes a joke in itself that it's something to do with Michael Jackson and E.T., I believe, oh, and which yeah. connects him with, like, a Michael <laughs>
1: Jackson memorabilia salesperson, which, like, that's interesting. That's why I genuinely think the best explanation for how the show comes to be is, is John Wilson just runs around with his camera for six months Finds as many interesting things as possible, and then just cuts together what he can, and goes and chases people up to form as coherent a story as, as he can. Because yeah, there's no way. Sorry, what was it you were? Ju- what was the thing you were just the talking e. T. about?
2: <laughs> Et. Yeah, and like, all of those.
1: Everything can't happen in the kind of time frame that he's suggesting that it does. But I think I honestly think that's the limit of the artifice here.
3: I think he is as weird as he says he is. I was watching. It was an episode from the most recent season. I think it was how to watch sport.
2: Mm-hmm. I think it was, oh yeah,
3: or something like that. And he followed a Jet fan home, who had all his Jet stuff, and I watched it after Aaron Rodgers went down. And the only thing I could think about was that guy is really sad right because he had a lot of hope for Aaron Rodgers and the Jet season, and he's like that's the only thing. Like that's the only thing that I, I found interesting. Like it just it made me very sad for that guy. But other than that, I hated the show. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry to disappoint Sarah.
2: What would you like to see from him next? I think I know what Lawrence (laughs) is going to say. But what would you like to see from from John Wilson next?
3: I'm not even going to respond.
2: Oh, damn it.
3: I have nothing. I I would like for him to have a nice life. I don't
0: know what his other other skills are in terms of, like, could he write a book or even essays that— Or is it so dependent on the filmic or should he do a long Mm. form just documentary on a topic, on a not even a a topic in terms of I put topic in quotes, but on a particular you know, this was my view of Burning Man or whatever that he wasn't
1: allowed to film.
2: That he wasn't (laughs) allowed to use, yeah.
1: I think he could be he could be like the millennial Werner Herzog. Right, let's get him. If he, I, I think he's come got a on, in him. Come on, come
2: on. I think he's got a great thing. Wait, I don't think it? he's how as show? clever as
1: Werner Herzog, but I think there's a similar element in Werner Herzog. brings He's one of those auteurs that just brings his entire psychology into the films that you're he's right making. about that. And I think Joe Wilson has the same vibe, and it would be entirely a matter of
3: finding the right subject. He doesn't have an ounce of the talent of Werner Herzog, like that would not be. Sarah, don't give me that look. He does not have an ounce I'm of giving a you that look. Of Her- they're very, of they're, very with- they're very different. They're very different filmmakers.
1: Like he's not, a, he's not as polished.
3: Not at all. But that's, the,
1: but that's not the kind of stuff that he's making. He is. But I meant when I said he's punk, he's not. Like he doesn't care about. Mm-hmm quality. Like the kind of criticisms you're making, you're making your John Wilson, it's like going to the Sex Pistols and saying, I would like what you were doing a lot more if it was a bit quieter and more in tune. <laughs> I,
3: would, I would never say that to the Sex Pistols. I would say that a feature-length documentary in the style that he makes these kinds of short documentaries would be excruciating. That would mm-hmm. not work. Because part of the reason why Sarah and Mark and Al, to a lesser degree, why you guys are responding so well to this is because it was short. It was bite-sized. It was 30 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever, right? But if it was really long, it would wear out as welcome. It would wear you out. My
0: experience was in seeing all the episodes rapidly in a row. So basically, that is as if it was was one No,
3: it is not. It is not. It's different (laughs) subject matter. It's different subject matter. Now, I'm telling you, if he were to follow one thing too far, you would pull your hair out. I promise you, you would.
2: I like, I think, Al, you suggested conferences. I would love to see him do a series of conferences, of looking at what di- or what different co- conventions, sorry, not conferences. Yeah. I'm going to a conference next week, so that's on, the, on my brain. But conventions, like going to different conventions and seeing what people are, the weird things that people are into through that particular lens.
1: That was some of the strongest stuff in the show. Like that movie Trekkies, that
2: was, you know, <gasps> oh, that was an yeah. example
1: of the kind of thing that he could do.
2: He could totally do that.
1: I don't think he's going to do anything other than filmmaking, though. You really get the vibe that that's literally all—not only all he wants to do, but all he, the only thing he knows even remotely how to do. I would be
0: interested to see him try, you know, with a real director of photography, a narrative filmmaking
1: thing, and see what that would be. Maybe it would be like—he like might be able to do a good like indie drama kind of thing. It has to be a with sort of <laughs> it would have to be a
0: comedy with uh, uh, Sasha Baron comedy. Cohen trying to do like a scripted movie and <laughs> now, like, that would uh, be interesting that would well, be we've seen that, that. like the dictator and uh, the brothers whatever that Sasha Baron Cohen did you know so it's not unheard of for people to try to get out of there. clearly he talks about his high school attempt to film a uh, Christmas movie And they show us very short (laughs) that, you know, actual filmmaking, I think, was the original intent before it became just this guerrilla filmmaking.
2: But I like that he explores questions instead of answers. Like, that's, I think, what interested me about the series is that he is really, he's asking a question and he will seek, you know, see what comes up. You know, that's actually, instead of having, going in with an answer. That I think I found the most interesting.
0: Well, thanks to all of you, and thanks to the listeners. i happy you
3: guys enjoyed this show. I'm,
0: <laughs> I'm going to try to announce again that we will put the After Talk on the public Pretty Much Pop feed. So if you're hearing this through the Partially Examined Life feed, or you're just watching the video, for instance, then uh, in addition to the Patreon, just buy for free... Subscribing to the regular feed, you can hear <laughs> some extra talking that we're about to engage in in moments. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Right, me, bye, guys. Hey, so what else have you? I know we just met last week, but we didn't really have an after talk last week. So, what you guys been up to?
3: What you consuming or thinking about? Oh, man.
2: I just watched a joyride. Did you guys see that? It's oh um, yeah, yeah. The, it's,
3: the Asian uh, comedy. Yeah, it's really
2: good. It's really good. It was uh, really raunchy, very funny. It was very raunchy. It, but you know what though, it was kind of like I thought it was kind of like a raunchy, like Hallmark movie in a way because it was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was hilarious. It was really really crying, laughing, funny. But by the end of it, I was like, oh, man, we got very sentimental all, all of a sudden. <laughs> but but I enjoyed it. I love those kinds of rated R movies and I'm glad that rated R comedies and I'm glad that they're kind of making a comeback.
3: Al, well, you been watching
1: man. I just watched, I would talk to the other guys about this last time, watched the What We Do in the Shadows TV series for the first time. Yeah, it's been really good fun. Part My excuse is partly as for the background for the Reservation Dogs episode that we've got coming up because just completing my Taiga Watiti set.
0: Yeah, just to I'm, anticipate our uh, reservation dogs. Wow. This there's like a different writer for every episode. I haven't like looked at a whole list, but it looks like, you know, it's not like this is from the mind of Taiga Watiti or even his presumably native co-creator. I don't actually know the background, but it's different people's stories. It's a, it seems like a big writers' room.
1: I don't think he's got a lot of like creative input into the show, but he had I had an interview with him where he was talking about his, like, there's there's a certain intention he had behind producing it. I think his thing was, I really, really want to put some heft into creating a, an authentic, like, indigenous show, and that's probably more or less the limit of his involvement. But it feels like something that probably wouldn't have happened without him saying that he wanted it to happen. What do you got, Lawrence?
3: Oh, man. Okay, so let me go through the things that I have watched since the last time we have recorded. Okay. Top Boy is on Netflix. It is a great show, a British show. A British... How do I a very dis- old show. Well, okay. It started in 2011, I think it did. And then it was canceled. And then it was brought back by Drake and Maverick Carter. And it ran for three seasons. And it's wrapping up its final season. It is amazing. I'm actually writing about it. That's how much I really enjoyed this show. I've written about it already. I'm writing about it again. So I watched that. I would encourage everybody to watch that. What's I, the premise? It's about black folks in London who are selling drugs and trying to become the top boy, who trying to, trying to become the best, trying to become the number one. And the hijinks that ensue with that. It is absolutely amazing. Great show. Okay. Watched a whole bunch of movies. Last Voyager, The Demeter. Loved it. Really, really good. Talk to Me is amazing. These are both horror movies. Talk to Me is, I think, a transcendental movie. It is really, really good. I encourage everybody to watch that. I think it is going to be one of the best movies of the year. The Nun 2 was fine. Didn't love it. It was fine. Haunted Mansion, the Disney movie. Loved that. Watched that recently. Equalizer
2: 3 was much... It's gotten very mixed reviews. I haven't seen it, but But um, but that's good to hear. But Haunted Mansion? Mansion. Okay, so
3: Haunted Mansion, I think it should not have come out in the theater. It's not a theater movie. It is a movie that you watch on Disney Plus on Halloween. That's what that is. And that's not a dig at it. It does what it needs to do. It is well-made for what it needs to do. It should not have come out in a theater. It should not come out this summer in a theater. If they had released this movie like in October in a the theater, it would have made a lot of money. But since they didn't, when it comes out in October on Disney+, Plus, I would absolutely encourage everybody to watch that. Watch The Haunting in Venice last night. Really, really good. Not scary. It's a mystery. Like an Agatha Christie kind of mystery. With like a haunting overtone, but it's really not a haunting or anything like that. Really good. I encourage you guys to watch that. But yeah, so I've been watching a whole bunch. I saw The Exorcist already, the new one. Um, I got you a screener. Yeah, I got, well, Ooh. I guess I get, I get screeners for movies all, all the time. I got a screener for that. Really enjoyed it. Cannot wait to talk about it. It is a little gross, <laughs> but it's going to be so good and fun to talk about. Um, especially in conversation with the original Exorcist film. So that's what I've been watching. I realize that like I am I realize I'm a film critic. I realize that now that I, I thought everybody watched as many movies as I did. And then like when I talk to regular people, they're like, wow, I watched a movie last month. <laughs> <laughs> and so I I realize that not everybody does what I do.
0: I keep was hearing so much press about how the only murders in the building season three is so great. And but I was still stuck with my I need to watch I was stuck that. with my wife on episode two of season two. It was the kind of thing that I really enjoyed, like the first three episodes of season one. And then it just seemed like, oh, this is so dragged out. I'm just not really? I, I'm, really. And so I was struggling, and we got to the end of season two, and it did end in a pretty satisfying way. I still have very mixed feelings about it. It was sort of mixed this week with, you know, there's, I guess, a very mean episode in Slate about Martin Short, which shows a lot of Martin Short oh, stuff yeah. over the years. So I had like started looking at that article. And then I saw another article about like, people are expressing solidarity with Martin Short about this mean article that was written about Martin Short. And so kind of coming to terms with that that was one of the things of just like, do I actually enjoy watching the performances of Martin Short? He gets under my skin in the way that it it was very much pointed out in this article. And it actually made me though reconsider like, oh, I actually really did find his stuff on Saturday Night Live. Some of it very funny at the time. And I should just, you know, get over this and enjoy this singular talent. And so I think that helped the last few episodes go down better for
3: me. Like, do you read mystery novels? Like, do you like those? Is that something that you enjoy reading? Because this very much felt, the first two seasons, I haven't watched the third season yet. But the first two seasons very much felt like just a mystery novel. Like, just the way that the story was told, the way it was kind of drawn out. Now, the Martin short of it all is different. I can, you know... People don't like his way. He kind of does things sometimes, but like just the narrative is not drawn out. That's just like the way a mystery novel is. So, well, movies are different, but I've like come, novels, I've come TV to shows, true detective. Yeah. Like yeah. That. No, I like, I like the TV show.
0: Yeah. Especially some of these, I'm trying to think of other ones, like the killing or whatever, where that's, we're not going to have a mystery mm-hmm. every week. We're going to stretch the mystery over the whole season. And that sometimes out. that's mm-hmm. good. Right. And sometimes it's not. In fact, the killing in particular, I think they stretched the initial mystery over two seasons and that was too much, but I did watch all of it and I really liked, it just depends on how the tone is. I like these brooding noir things and Only Murders is not that, but do I actually like the comic tone? There are definitely some funny parts. I don't know. It's just hard for me to really, I maybe because it's a comedy, it's hard for me to care about the relationships that we're supposed to care about. You know, oh, he's a lonely person. I don't understand.
2: I don't understand picking on Martin Short in particular. Like, isn't every actor or comedian like some people like them, some people don't like who cares? Like, I don't understand why. I mean, I mean, I mean this genuinely. Was there a point to this article like other than to tear him down? Like, I don't understand. Did Martin Short do something that was particularly well, no, he didn't. noteworthy uh, of late?
3: Well, I mean, <laughs> like, he's, he's in this show. He's, he's viewed yeah. as a legendary like comedian. But no, point, no,
2: I know. Yeah. But,
3: but but the point of the article, and I, I know the person who wrote it. and I know the person who edited it. <laughs> the point of the article is just that, like he kind of grinds their gears, and like it's a little mean spirited. Like Mark, what do you think?
0: I think that saying he's a bit much. You know, is that the
2: way yeah. that he's so yeah. his energy can say is that about a so lot of the actors though,
0: right? And so you might have a similar way that like, oh, I don't, oh, I don't like say Jimmy that about Fallon. Of- he's so. In That's your a, face, and I don't like his tone or what you know.
1: Yeah, Martin Short is a. I unique think it's okay to event. make fun of Martin Short, but I don't know how, how sensitive <laughs> he is
3: about.
2: That. Yeah, I don't I, think he's. He sensitive probably at does all. not care at all. I don't think he's sensitive at all. I think that
3: I like Martin Short a lot, but Martin Short is very much a particular flavor. He is really, really like he's really over the top. Sometimes. He
1: puts a lot of effort into being a ridiculous figure. He, I don't think he's gonna he does. He's going to have a sure. problem. Sure, and this show <laughs> actually, you know,
0: plays on that, so that the character is, you yeah. know, so that you know, it adds it, but that doesn't necessarily make it more pleasant. To uh anyway, the other thing I had given you sort of a lukewarm recommendation last time, Lawrence of Wheel of Time. The second season started up. I started watching the second season. I'm like, I don't quite know what's going on. I rewatched the whole first season. I liked it so much better the second time because I wasn't. I had just read the book. I just reread the book before watching, and I was too consumed with how different it was, or how not different it was. There's still some directorial choices that I'm not completely down with. Of did you have to have these characters walk in basically slow motion for this long to give the emotional impact? For you know, but I have that problem with a lot of TV shows. And now I'm I was actually at the same time in my library queue the audio book for book nine in the series which I had been very underwhelmed by the last couple before that, but book nine, the end of it is so goddamn awesome that, again, I'm not going to, this is not going to be like the Brandon Sanderson discussion we have where it's the end of book four that's really awesome. I'm not going to make you sit through nine books of what is does not stand up, as Al
1: says, to get to here. But the show, I think, is worthwhile.
3: Really, I'm, That's I'm good going to, to watch it. I'm
1: going to watch it. Does it make you care about the characters? I only watched one episode of the of the ah, what's it called Wheel of Time TV show because it was so boring and I didn't like. And by the end of it, I couldn't follow what was going on or who anyone was <laughs> in relation to anyone else. Like, just tell me that that changes and that I have a reason to care about the characters at some point.
0: I think a lot of effort. Because, the, the kind of thing I was just criticizing is their effort to make every character have like deep emotional arcs that you care about. And it's not always clear. A point of comparison, if you guys remember in The Two Towers, that right near the beginning of The Two Towers, there's the funeral for the king of Rohan's son. And it's very drawn out and they're singing. And I was like, when I was seeing it the first time, I was like, this has not been earned. I don't know these characters. I'm not mourning with them. What is supposed to be appealing about this to me? And so maybe you know you might get the same thing of like, why are they dwelling so much on the Gandalf female character basically has been kicked out of the white tower it's all a ruse it's only she's faked kicked out but they're still crying over it and like why is this supposed to be dramatic I don't know after a while I felt like every performance is so committed and the fact that they do put real effort into trying to make the friendships between these individual people so that when they're reunited like you actually care that they're yeah so at least the second time around I got into it. The first time I was maybe too distracted by, again, the differences between the book, including the very diverse casting. When it was really written originally, in fact, the main character, it was all white And then the main character stands out because he has red hair and that shows actually he must not be natively from this little tiny town. And it's not that the whole show is all white people, but that this little town that they start in is supposed to be a, like a white bread Hobbiton kind of thing. And so by saying, Oh no, actually, this is going to be just as multicultural as everywhere else. So we can have our main characters. It's something I got over pretty fast, but it, as like, it was strangely enough a barrier for me originally of like, just questioning the casting choices. Whereas the second time around, I was like, yes, I completely buy. In fact, I can't picture anybody else now playing this part, which is
3: what good casting is supposed to make you do. And this better be much better than that John Wilson shit you made me
2: watch. Man. <laughs> hey, <laughs> is anyone excited about Taylor Swift's? Movie coming out. They pushed it. What made me think about that is that they pushed. Oh uh, gosh,
3: I hate Taylor Swift so much. I hate her. Do you, <laughs> oh my
2: gosh. I hate no Taylor one Swift. is going to really. I do not no like
3: Taylor Swift. Al might. Al seems like he will be a Taylor Swiftie. He Are seems you a
1: like Swiftie? he I, see I like Taylor Swift. My girlfriend's a I mess.
3: Told you, so I told you. I knew Al would. It. I knew he if my would. My daughter was in the I country. I would for
0: sure Swift. see it with her. At this point, I might wait for it to be on video. But if my wife really wants to go, which is very possible, we watched a TV concert of hers, like from the Notorious or whatever that is to Anyway, it was quite
1: good.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's like, stop making she's, sense.
3: She's got a real future.
2: Re-released. Taylor Swift so is just some... not
3: my kind of music, man. It's just not your, it's, kind of, it's not not your cup my. of tea. It's too white for me. I don't it, like there's no soul there. I, it's not my kind of. Is
2: shit. she the John Wilson of music for you?
3: No, she is not. She is the Elvis Costello of music for me. I don't like
0: Oh, Oh, Elvis fired. Costello, one of my central influences. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs>
3: But no, it's just Taylor Swift doesn't have any soul to me. Like she brings black artists on and she'll bring in black songwriters and black producers. And none of them give her the soul that she needs, I think. I, like I'm a big soul person. Like the music has to have soul. And I'm talking about, of course, black soul, whatever. I just don't, I don't feel it with her. Like she feels very country and then very pop.
2: Mm-hmm. I think uh, that's, yeah, what, that's she is. what
3: That's what she is. <laughs> but for that, and this was
0: just, again, something that my daughter listen to exclusively as a young person. And so I heard all these old albums in the car and I was like, wow, I'm sympathizing with some weird like prom fantasy. Why am I doing that? Like this woman must be a witch that she's so direct and (laughs) effective with her melodies and things that, you know, this
1: person is nothing like me, but yet I somehow am humming this stuff. The thing that annoys me about Taylor Swift is the songs are always all about her and that annoys me, but it's still compelling, even though I feel myself being annoyed, <laughs> but still compelled.
3: Sarah's going to be front row. Cannot I, wait I don't. No, I don't, no, I don't care
2: about Taylor Swift. Honestly, oh, okay. I, I will not go. I'm just wondering.
3: Oh, okay, okay.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's the year of Taylor Swift, right? The it is. Tour is it, it, it I mean, was we a never real, talk about music, really but the era's tour is a huge fucking thing. It was
3: thing. huge, man.
2: Huge. And Beyonce. They are really but hers, but and hers, hers were Gerwig. bigger
3: than Beyonce, though. Yeah, great. It's it's the year of women. It's the year of women. We, we did do a Taylor Swift episode Sarah. with a a Swiftie
0: on this show long ago. If we wanted to do at that point, somebody you know was saying we should do a Beyonce one. I'll tap out. That was similar. Out. No, I'll tap out. I'm not yeah, saying do, do we that. do let's Taylor Swift. I'm saying if Beyonce is the figure that is such a cultural icon, and that we should all listen to a bunch of Beyonce and maybe bring on a super Beyonce fan. I would not be against that. You would need to bring
3: one on. I think, you oh, you, you have, have one already. You wouldn't, need to bring uh. a, you wouldn't need to bring one on. But I will say that I just don't know if Beyonce has the same kind of cultural capital that she used to. Like, it, it really feels like Taylor Swift is kind of taking her throne. Taylor Swift, like even though I don't like her and I don't like her music, this tour has been over the top huge. Like It has been huge. And so Beyonce is on tour right now and she's not doing what Taylor Swift is doing.
2: But don't you think, though, that there's just so much more to talk about with Beyonce and her catalog than there would be, even though Taylor Swift has quite a catalog. I just feel like there's so much more to talk about with Beyonce than there would be with Taylor Swift. But no, that may just agree. Be-
1: I do agree. I'm really interested in thinking about like how back over her career and how she got to, when did she become the indisputable queen of all pop music? You mean Beyonce? Beyonce, yeah. It
3: was probably her. She stayed there for such a long time. It was probably her second solo yeah. album, probably because of course she was with she was with Destiny's Child. Her first solo yeah. album was really good. Her second solo album like exploded, and then after that she had hit after hit through Lemonade, all that kind of stuff. The last album, I actually didn't like her last album very much. I'm not. It was a little bit too much, too close to Electronica or something like that. I, I just didn't really appeal to me. And I like the, the kind of electronics that I like. Like, I like Daft Punk, that kind of stuff. I, I didn't like what she was doing. But she, I don't know. I mean, like, she's really popular. She's really, really important. She's really interesting. I think her failures are as interesting as her successes because I think she has failed miserably as an actress. She is not a good actress. I don't like her speaking voice. But she's really important. And she's really big. Now, Black to black women, she is end-all, be-all. Like, they love her. It is yeah. no question about that.
1: I can't think of any other like pop star other than Madonna, who was like so dominant for such a long, so like singly dominant for such a long time. There was just no question, well, she was like, up until maybe a couple of years ago, that she was the greatest pop star in the
3: world. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe Elvis. Is and she there. was there for ages. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Oh, well, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. But longevity, though wise madonna definitely has it and beyonce does too i mean just for decades
1: madonna's been around for a long time but she was on like how long was she the actual like hyper dominant pop star 80s was
2: 90s early aughts uh, i would say
3: 80s early 90s i say 80s early 80s, 90s, early 90s yeah. right she wasn't yeah i don't think
2: oh I, uh, ray of light came out at the end of the 90s right
1: i don't know what that is so
2: i think so I
1: don't, <laughs> I don't know
0: what that is. The
2: word
1: of the song. What are the songs yes. It was okay, sort so of she wanted the, sec, the
0: she sex wasn't book dead, and there. justify my love. That seemed like the last gasp.
2: That was early as far 90s. as her
0: super fame, and there have been things since then, American Pie or whatever. that have been on my radar. I don't know. I'm not. I know almost <laughs> no mistake. even Beyonce. So I'm so just not in the pop
3: sphere. If if my daughter wasn't listening to it, yeah, I I'm don't looking. Know it. <laughs> That's. <laughs> I'm looking at Madonna's discography. Yeah, it's eighties and early nineties. Honestly, like Ray of Light You're was. Wrong.
2: Ray of Light was it, was, no, a, was, a was. it that was a huge album. Was it? It was a huge album. Yes, I'm
1: sure. I'm, I'm sure that everything that Madonna ever released gets like in does huge business. But I'm I'm talking strictly about like the being cultural capital, the single, yeah, the single dominant pop star in the world, which she was for a time. Like, are you going to make a serious case that she was the biggest pop star in the world in the late nineties? I just, I yeah.
2: I do, yeah. I, yes, yes, I am. I'm okay, gonna, we, we need yes. to do this
3: episode. Right. We need to I do will, this episode. I will, I will, because yes. We're going yeah, to fight. That, I we're going to because, because we're going we, to fight about this. Because I.
2: 1998. Complete- that album came out in 1998, and that was a huge, huge, huge. How many that was t- a
3: huge album. How many times platinum did he go? How many times platinum? I don't know. Well, Google know. it. Google it. <laughs> Let's go. Come on. You can't make this claim and not Google it. What's All going right, on? I'm going
0: to leave it. We'll figure out where in the schedule. Maybe, maybe when, <laughs> no, when Beyonce no, has a birthday. The listeners
3: are the listeners are not going to be left on like in suspense. How many times platinum did he go? We know this.
2: Four times platinum.
3: Eh, that's not great. That's I, mean, I that's that's a lot of platinum, but it's not. How it's, many? It's yeah. Not. How many times
2: have you gone platinum, Lawrence?
3: Oh, so oh, fired. Yeah. Okay, uh, we need to walk away before <laughs> I say something mean to Sarah. And ruin our Don't relationship. say
2: something mean. I can't You just, you some just
3: said something mean to me. I
0: about? think that's a good. The evil insinuation that you have. A good place.
3: I have gone many times platinum. Very. Thank you very much.
0: I mean, sexually, <laughs> but yeah. Whatever that whatever that Whoa, means.
2: Oh, okay. All what does right. that even mean? What are you talking about? <laughs> it's none of my business. Firstly, <laughs> deeply inappropriate. It's, Secondly, is my what? song
3: <laughs> dipped in platinum?
2: Hey, you, I, wa- I was going to leave about? it to the listeners' you you imaginations.
0: You're the ones who are giving it disgusting interpretations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my <All> God. <laughs> so, secret's out. So long, everybody. Thanks for, for uh, watching. Bye, guys. Whatever you're
2: doing Bye. here. Bye. Bye, guys. See you later. <laughs> Bye.